If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. Cross the bay into Richmond. The water sparkles like it does in poems. I try to actively take in the expanse of water, the roll of the hills. Last beauty for a while. If I'm lucky, for a while. Might be just the last beauty for me. Haven't I had enough for one life? Enough of everything, you know? Turn away from the bay, past huge windmills churning power into the grid. And then on into the long flat of the highway. Still kind of pretty now. Not a pretty that you would go out of your way to see, but a far sight prettier than this road becomes. There were three billboards in quick succession, and there was a part of a face on each. I don't understand how it even worked, but there were face fragments, gray and strange, and as you drove past them, the three fragments blurred together and seemed to move. Rudimentary billboard animation. And this gray, sunken face smiled. Or, no, not that. What's like a smile but angry? What's like a face but drifting? by Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 1, Chapter 9, Go Home Again. I hadn't been home in months. It's weird how when you're gone for a long time, the things you left behind are exactly how you left them. I know that doesn't sound like it's weird, it's just what you'd expect from inanimate objects, but it actually happens. It's weird. You think about the you that left those things in those places and everything that's happened to you since, and it doesn't track. It doesn't feel possible, even though it's not just possible, it's unavoidable. You will always live in the remnants of the life you've led up until this point, making do with whatever you've left for yourself. Neighbors would want to know where I'd been. Friends would be worried. But I had pushed away friends and shut out neighbors, and there was no one left to know or care. I did my best to return to routine. It felt like play-acting, portraying the role of myself, and I wasn't even doing a good job of that. There was, as always, a jumpy fear in me. I felt watched. I felt threatened. But I could not specify how. I never saw anyone watching me. Didn't matter how many times I came awake gasping and flipped on the lights, there was no one there. I could not prove it to myself, 
but I did not feel safe. I did not feel like I had escaped. And then one night, three weeks after I had returned home, I heard a sound, like haphazard clapping, skin slapping skin arrhythmically. Adrenaline seized through me. I shook with it, but I crept through the dark house toward the noise. Slap, slap. Slap, slap. Oh, you start smelling that a long way out, don't you? Our meat industry leads to a number of good smells, but it starts here with a smell of shit so strong it spreads out over miles, a half hour before you see the source. And then you see the fences and the thousands, literally thousands of cows. Just so many of them, in clumps and bunches, and the smell of shit singes your nostrils. I should have switched on recirculation, but I didn't in time, and now I'd just be recirculating that smell. Ugh. Better to ride it out. Better to ride it out. Slap, slap. Slap, slap. I was around the corner from the living room when, in the reflection in the TV, I saw a shape I could not immediately interpret. A strange, bent shape, moving in a loose and weird way. I smelled tilled earth. I smelled my own sweat, and it smelled like cleaning chemicals and gas stations. Whoop, the shape said. Whoop. Slap, slap. Slap, slap. Around the corner of the living room, with just one eye, a quick peek. It was one of the thistle men. Not the one that had followed me, and not the one that had led me to their secret home, but another one still. He was bent horribly backwards, like his spine was broken, and he was loosely swinging his arms back and forth in a circle so that they slapped his chest and his back. Slap, slap. Slap. He gurgled. Whoop! He shouted. Whoop! I ran back to the bedroom knowing that he could hear me now, slammed and locked the door. I cried. I cried. The sound stopped. I waited for the door to break down, but nothing else happened except eventually morning. But that was only the start of it. I stopped for lunch at a subway because they had parking for my truck, which is one way of deciding what foods to eat. I feel like our ancestors had other ones. The color of the berry, the foraging habits of the prey. But here's what I've got. Can they take my truck, and will it not be that much of a pain in the ass to drive out again? Someday there will be self-driving trucks, and no one will need to be in this cab at all. This won't be anyone's job. It won't be a job. All of us will have to figure out how to define ourselves when we're not defining ourselves by how we survive. Even then, I tried to live my life. What else could I do? I had spent years afraid that each day would be the day I die, terrified of mortality, and that had many downsides, but it did teach me how to push through fear, how to live on even as inside you were quivering. 
I bought groceries, made dinners, started a job search. No one knew what to do with my resume. Middle-tier white-collar worker, and then this long stretch as a truck driver, and now back to searching for office jobs. Was this, uh, about finding yourself? Job agencies would ask about the strange span in my work history. It was about finding someone, sure, I said. Mmm, ah, uh, well, we'll call you. But even as my routine continued, so did the watchings and the warnings. One evening, I looked out my window to see, on my neighbor's balcony, a smiling thistle man, a different one, his grin cracking his face on one side while the other side hung slack. Where were my neighbors? Were they still alive? And even if they weren't, what could I do, huh? Call the police? There was no one in this world who would help me. Footsteps in my house, off kilter and dragging, like a wounded animal, in the hours where night and morning mingle. A car on my block that I'd never seen before, but that was now always parked in a place with a clear view of my house. I was in the shower one night at a moment where I dared to shower. Any sort of vulnerability became a calculated risk. Would it be safe to sleep now? Could I shower for these few minutes? And that time I misjudged the moment because I could feel that there was something in there with me in the shower. But I couldn't see anything. That was the thing, there was nothing there. But there was. I could smell mowed grass and fertilizer. Could hear between the crack of water on tub a yip, yip, yip. I turned off the shower. No sound. I looked all over the bathroom. No one, nothing was there. But something was there. I turned the shower back on. The smell was even stronger and buried in the sound of the water. Yip, yip, yip. My anxiety was becoming a monster of its own. Now that it had a focus, it was overpowering. I could feel myself shutting down, wanting to just do nothing at all, to not get out of bed, to wait for them to take me. And what were they even trying to warn me away from? I had gone home. I had given up. And thinking about that, I realized these were not warnings. My fate was sealed. This was just them having fun, playing with me. Staying home, trying to wait them out until they got bored, that was not an option because the ending was preordained. I thought about trying to disappear, vanishing off the map, or more accurately, into the map. Driving into the map of America so deep and so far that no one would ever find me again. But there is a fine line between disappearing from view and disappearing altogether. How far could I run? How much could I change before there was nothing left of me to hide? before all that was left was the disguise. There was only one escape. 
I would have to be the one to come after them. I would have to go where they live and confront them there. Only then would this end, one way or the other. I called Bay and Creek. I told them that I was coming back if that was okay with them. But I would have to plan carefully. Even one of those things was powerful, and there were so many of them. To just rush in would be death, or I don't know what. Everything worse than death. Cut off the highway and start making my way back into the eastern hotlands. At least I don't have to go over that mountain pass. I've done it in a regular car before, and that was fine except for the time it was so foggy that we, all of us on the road, had to inch our way along, following the lights of the folks in front of us, as the road zigged and zagged between steep slopes and long drops. Every turn a surprise felt in the stomach. Ugh, I can't imagine doing that pass in a truck like this, and yet people do it every day. Every day, people just like me swing the bulk of these things on the sharp mountain turns. Not me. I have something far more dangerous in mind. There had to be some pattern to their comings and goings. Even monsters, or whatever these things are, they have to have some routine to their lives. If I had any hope of destroying them, let alone surviving, I would have to know that routine better than they did. I would build a hidden lean-to on the hill above their town. I would disappear into it with food and water and, I don't know, a bucket, you know? I mean, gross, but it's what I would have to do. This would have to be done carefully and slowly or it would not be doable at all. And then, all of that changed because there was a knock at my door. I went to the second floor and leaned out the window to see who was there. No one. Just a piece of paper, the wind gently nudging it off my porch. I went down, reached my arm out, grabbed the paper and had the door locked again as quickly as I could. On the paper was an address written in a scrawl with a pen that barely had any ink left, more carved into the paper than written. It took me a moment to even register what I was seeing, and then I was on the road driving south. There will be no watching and no planning. I am going to... I don't know. I guess I'm going to drive this truck full speed through their front gate. What will I do after that? I don't know. The address was an extended stay America with a room number. I called Sylvia. She picked up, thank God. I told her she needed to start running again, that they found her. All right. All right. I'm facing the gate now. The engine is running. The headlights are off. Alice, I... I wish I could have seen you again. I guess that's what this always was. I just, I wish that I could have seen you again. Just that. Okay. Okay. Whatever happens next is what happens.
Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now the answer to our riddle, why did the chicken cross the road? Because there is power in movement, not any particular movement, not dance, although also dance, not athletics, although also athletics, but movement, just the absence of stillness, just anything that takes a person from one spot to the next. And if there is a why, then so be it, but it is inconsequential to the fact of it, the fact of air in the lungs, the fact of feet and a road, the implications of a road and what it means to not go down that road or back the way you came, but perpendicular, to cross it, to make that move. Because the secret is, it was not to get to the other side or to any other place. Places are beside the point, but just for the power of crossing, of movement. That is why the chicken crossed the road.
This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. Hello iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lublin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for, um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eyebrods, eyecasts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best. I'm a real pod broad myself.